Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. So Joshua chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. Uh, I'm going to read 11 verses out of the Bible if you're new to church. I'm going to pray real fast. I'm going to tell a couple stories. If you laugh, we call them jokes. And uh, if you don't laugh, just stories. And then we're going to get into this, but we're starting a brand new series. We try to, we feel like God speaks in seasons. And so we do series that we believe are kind of a word for our community for a period or a window of time. And we just got back from a a retreat uh, in Lake Arrowhead. A few of us went up. And I really felt like God gave me a word up there this week that we were getting ready as a community to, I believe, enter into a promised land. Promised land. So we want to start a series, and before you get bored and like, this is going to be ridiculous, just stay with me. I believe a promised land is a fruitful place. Anybody up for fruitful places? Productive places? Places that cause you to prosper and become successful. So if you're not into that, you guys can leave. But the rest of us, we're going to believe that God is a God that wants to actually make us fruitful. And so I feel like this is a word for our church collectively, but it's also a word for us individually. So we're going to do a series for four weeks. I'm going to talk to you about what I believe what the promised land is. We'll do next week, we're going to talk about who the promised land is for. And then we're going to do the, the third week, we're going to talk about how to fight in your promised land. It's going to be a fun series, three or four weeks. And uh, today we're going, to, we're going to kick this thing off. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes. Paper doesn't forget. Come on, a short pencil is better than a long memory. And so why don't you write some notes today? All these church one-liners, they, they're stuck in me. You've got to get them out. But, uh, hey, before you judge me for wearing my wife's pants today, um, I just want you to know we're going to have a good time. And uh, we believe that God is, God is good. All right. Joshua chapter 1, you guys ready? I want to talk to you today. My idea, if you're writing down notes today, the first message in the series, I want to talk to you guys today about uh, what seems to be the problem. And I want to talk to you about what the promised land is, but what seems to be the problem is kind of what the name of this talk is going to be, uh, this sermon, this message, thesis. You got your Bible? Joshua chapter 1, 11 verses, and just a little bit of context here. First five books of the Bible were written by a guy named Moses, who claims he was the most humble man that ever lived, but it's interesting that he wrote that about himself. So was he. Church jokes. Um, He writes five books of the Bible. If you don't know the story of Moses, Exodus documents, he was born, spent 40 years in Egypt as a prince, good name for a movie, Um, and then he spends 40 years in a Sinai Peninsula leading a bunch of crazy sheep that aren't smart, spends the next 40 years leading a bunch of people that aren't smart, and two and a half million people over a 40-year, four-decade period after four centuries of slavery in Egypt. So he's responsible for taking two and a half million people out of Egyptian slavery And he's responsible for leading him into four decades of wandering. And then when he's done, during his tenant, uh, there was actually a tenor. There was a guy that was his assistant named Joshua. Joshua had probably one of the hardest gigs in the Bible outside of James. James was the brother of Jesus, which is the worst. Because you're never going to be good enough. (laughs) Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? That's a tough gig to be James. Can I get an amen? But the second toughest gig probably in the Bible would be being the guy that followed Moses. I actually think that's why God's like, make the name of the book Joshua. Because everyone's going to forget about you if you don't. It'd be like being the president after Abraham Lincoln. It's like, who is he? 
No one knows. Moses is super well-known. He's phenomenal. Like, we have him in the Supreme Court up on all these walls. He wrote the Ten Commandments, or he got the Ten Commandments from God, and uh, was a phenomenal leader, one of the greatest early leaders of Yahweh in the world. And then Joshua is his, his predecessor, or his successor, and what we know about Joshua is he might be one of the greatest humans that ever lived outside of Jesus. Never has any moral failures, no crazy sins to report in the Bible. If I was an author, not a real exciting character to write about. He's kind of a very steady Eddie, one foot in front of the other type of person. But he does all that God told him to do. And he leads, and this is my premise of the series, he leads two and a half million people into the greatest seven years in the history of God's people. He leads. In seven years, he drives out seven nations. He takes over 31 different kings. And God gives him unequivocal victory in everything that he does in seven years. He's a phenomenal leader. And what I want to do today is talk about how he was able to get two and a half million misfits wandering in a wilderness into a promised land, a beautiful land that was full of giants that were way stronger, bigger, and more smart, more smarter did, than they were. Are you ready? Let's read Joshua. That was a long intro. Verse 1, chapter 1. After the death of Moses. That's a fun way to start a book. <laughs> I thought it was funny. After the death of Moses. All right, we hope we're going uphill from here. The, it, it, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Arise. Go over this Jordan River, which ironically was at flood, uh, flood time. Uh, you and all this people to the land which I am going to give them to the children of Israel. Every single place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses... From the wilderness of this, of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, he goes on to say, uh, to the land of the Hittites, the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. That's a word for somebody here today. Be strong and of good courage. For to this People, you shall divide as a land and inheritance, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Did I tell you that yet? And that you may observe to do according to all that was the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left, that you may prosper. Say with me, prosper. That you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's not supposed to depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For you will have, after those things, you will make your way prosperous, and that you will have good success. Who wants to, who wants to have good success? Prosper. That's what he says. Have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? He's like, yes, you have. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua immediately, no excuses, no ands, no ifs, no buts. He immediately commanded the officers of the people saying, Hey, go through the camp, command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days, you will cross over this Jordan, and you're going to go in, 
You're going to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. I know this is a historical book, historical story, but I do believe it has implications for today. What seems to be the problem? Can we pray? God, we just thank you for second service. I thank you, Lord, for amazing humans. I thank you for what you're doing in Orange County. I thank you that it's almost basketball season. And I'm just so, I'm so excited, Lord, for what you've done the last year of this community. We know you're building your church. We know the gates of hell are not prevailing against it. I pray whether we're brand new today or we come every week that you would beat us where we are. I pray we'd have a good time, enjoy you, but experience you today. In Jesus Christ's name. And somebody, somebody said amen. Amen, amen, amen. Who's ever been in a, a hurry? You ever been in a hurry? Go ahead and raise your hand. I've seen you driving. I know we live in California. Everyone's in a hurry in California. I don't know if you've been there before, but I feel like the older I get, it's like the less time I seem to have. My mom would always say that life's like a roll of toilet paper. The longer it goes, the shorter, it, the faster it goes. Or I messed that up. She said it starts slow in the beginning, and by the end, it goes fast. That's what I meant to say. Thanks, Mom. I, uh... I've been in a hurry before. I feel like the older you get, you just don't have enough time for a lot of things. And so I was in a hurry uh, a couple weeks back. Our friends Bruce and Tammy invited us over to their house for a small group, which I want to encourage you. Um, I love churches because you can actually spend time with people, not just on Sundays, but during the week. And so we were going over to Bruce and Tammy's house, and we were hanging out. We had dinner over there a few weeks back. And I was in a hurry. We were running a little bit late. Uh, we wanted to make an entrance. Come on. And we have, we have kids, so we're usually a little tardy to stuff. But uh, we are on our way there, and I tried to make up time in my vehicle. And uh, I, I ended up uh, getting pulled over on the way to a church event. I, I walked into the small group with shame. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. I would have been here earlier, but I was just talking to the police officer. So I got pulled over. And it's just funny. I don't know if it's from movies uh, that have programmed us to give this explanation but for some reason, there's always this weird discourse of conversation when you get pulled over by a police officer. It always goes very similarly. It's like a rehearsed dialogue. Everyone knows what we're going to say. They know what they're going to say. I know what I'm going to say. Conversation goes something like this. You try to make yourself look as innocent as possible. You pray a prayer. Lord, if you love me, get me out of this ticket. I know I deserve it. God, grace. Innocent face, puppy dog eyes. What seems to be the problem, officer? What seems? Should we be honest sometimes? Can we just agree that cops are probably tired of us lying to them? Oh, you didn't know I was pulling you over, huh? No idea. And then there's some more weird questions. He goes, he goes, do you have any idea how fast you were going? It'd be good to answer honestly sometimes, wouldn't it? Actually, yes, I do. I have a speedometer that's right in front of my face. What I didn't know is where you were parked. I wish I would have known. I would have applied the brakes. We wouldn't be having this conversation. I just didn't know that. What seems to be the problem? Know what the problem is? I didn't know where you were. You know, in the light of all this stuff happening, it really inspired me, you know, after that, that night, it inspired me actually to, to actually go back to school. And so I'm excited about that. It's traffic school. Um, 
but you got to start somewhere. Amen. Amen. Sorry. Church jokes. I, uh, it seems to be right. It's weird that there's things, there's problems in life, and I feel like there's, and I was trying to come, come at it from a positive angle, but I just feel like there's a lot. If we're being honest, life is stressful at times, confusing. It's difficult, challenging. I feel like the older you get, there's challenges, right? Like, I feel like when you get older, like, one of the problems of getting older is your body just doesn't work as well. Like, I threw my back out sleeping. <laughs> Had no good story. I think my wife was karate chopping me at night. But I woke up, I'm like, man, I can't walk. And then when you get older, it's like, you just, you're like, I'm going to live with this pain the rest of my life. It's just crazy. But I, uh, what seems to be the problem? I, I think that uh, I, was reading, I was reading through this, uh, just studying the book of Joshua. I feel like this is a word for our church right now. And I was interested because there's really three seasons that the Bible talks about in Joshua and Exodus. There was the Egyptian series, uh, season that was 400 years. There was the wilderness season that was 40 years. And then there was this season that Joshua led him into the promised fruitful land. And I really felt, I read this study that really, really got my attention, and it was actually done in 2007 by a research company. It was actually a non-Christian research company, but they wanted to do a study, and it was called the Reveal Research Project in 2007. And what they did is they actually polled Christians in churches, in thousands of churches, and they asked them, if you were to ex- describe your living of faith, your quality of life, would you describe it as category A? You're in Egypt, you feel like you're a victim of your circumstances, your emotions, your problems, whatever you feel like doing, even if it's bad, you do it. You can't say no to things, you have no self-control, no discipline, and darkness is ruling your life. Egypt. Wilderness is you're no longer a slave to Pharaoh, but you're living in the desert still. And even though you're not under the control of maybe darkness or the devil, maybe you're going to heaven, but you still have a lot of hell stuck inside of you. Wilderness. And then they went on to say, and then, the, and then the, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land, if we were to describe it, it would be a life defined by grace, refined by challenges, and aligned by a heavenly calling. So it's not a, it's not a giant free place, but it is a place that God gives you more victories than losses. Only 11% of people in their study define their life as living in their promised land. Can you imagine going to a hospital that says, yeah, we can fix people like you 11% of the time? Can you imagine going to a school that says, we graduate 11% of our high school graduates? Can you imagine if 11% of your kids turned out okay? I could go to this all day long. I don't think 11% is very impressive. They say there's over 2.2 billion people on the earth that profess to be Christians or followers of Jesus. So you do the math on that. If 11% of that, that'd be just over 200 million out of 6 or 7 billion people on the earth that would say, you know what? I think I'm doing what God made me to do. I think that's not healthy. And I wonder if I can wage war on this idea that we're supposed to live our lives in Egypt or the wilderness. Can we do that today as a church? How many believe that God has a promised land for you? A fruitful place, life for you. And I was reading through this story and I started thinking about, man, what seems to be the problem? I think the problem is, is people don't realize what God promised to give them. I do believe that everyone in this room has something in common, that God has a promised land in mind, in store for you. And I think that many of us are living way below the water table of what Jesus died to give us. 
Joshua, think about this, guys. In 1400 B.C., after 400 years of bondage, after 40 years of wandering, this leader actually led people into a land. And this is interesting. He's the only one in, the, in, 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 this, in Joshua chapter 1. There's only two humans alive that knew how scary the promised land was. He's one of the two. And ironically, out of the two guys, he's the one that God says, hey, I want you to be strong. I want you to be courageous. None of these people know how big the giants are in the land. But you do. But I need you to be courageous. I need you to be strong. I don't need you to be afraid or, or timid. You will go in, and I'm going to give this land to you. And so what we find here as we, as we read through this passage is, is that God gave him four things, I believe, to help him get into a frame of mind to inherit the promised land. So let me ask you this. If you guys can, put up Joshua if you can. Can you put up Joshua, that last, last chapter of Joshua? It's chapter 20, 23 or something. It, it, it's, read this. This is the end of seven years of world domination. Check out what it says here. It says, so the Lord. This is at the end of, of, the, of Joshua's reign. It says, so the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he swore to, his, to give to his fathers. And they took possession of it and they dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Last couple of verses are the best. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Favorite last four words. All came to pass. That's good stuff all by itself right there. I appreciate the golf clap. That was nice. Um, I actually believe that God is a God that keeps his promises. And I do believe that God has a healthy place for your marriage. I believe he has a fruitful place for your family. I believe he wants your kids to be healthy. I believe he's a God of households. I'm going to stop right there. I just want to convince someone today that God isn't just after you. He's after your family. In the book of Acts, there was a jailer that was getting ready to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners escaped. And it says that Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The guy fell at his feet. He said, your God is Yahweh. He's real. And it says not only the jailer, but his entire household believed in Jesus. He is a God, listen, that wants your entire family. And I don't know who you are and where you are, but you have some kids in this room and grandkids in this room that I believe even in this moment in this service at, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, God is actually running after your kids today. I sense it, my God. I even believe that one of you are going to get a phone call today saying, I don't know why, Mom. I don't know why, Dad. But I just feel like I'm supposed to get right with God. I started reading my Bible today. I feel like going to church with you next week. You mark my words. I just feel something in here. God is getting ready to actually do fruitful things in our families. If you believe it, would you clap just for a second? So Joshua comes on the scene, and, and God says, look, there's going to be four reasons why you're going to enter into this great land. The first reason, I want you to just write these four things down, because I believe these are the foundation of how we get into the promised land, is he says really four things, which I believe, imagine this for a second, entertain me, that if I was very, very, very wealthy, and which I'm not just yet, <laughs> but imagine if I was, and imagine my two little girls, I wanted to actually give them what belonged to me, so when I'm gone, they know what belongs to them. I would write a, a will. I would write down a will to let everybody know that when I'm not physically present, you know what to do with what I earned. That you know what to do with what I earned when I was walking the earth. I would write a will to my kids to let them know what I earned in my life when I walked the earth. 
So what we find here is the first thing that God tells Joshua before he enters the promised land is he goes, number one, I want you to, uh, I want you to know, I want you to know my will. I want you to know it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 is, I want you to read this book. I want you to read this book. I think one of the number one reasons why people, these are the top four reasons, why people, if you flip them upside down, do not enter the promised land in their life is the first reason why most people never enter into a fruitful place with God in life. And we're not following Joshua into the promised land. We're following Jesus into our promised land. And the number one reason why most people do not go where God wants them to go, and they live 11% out of 89%, make it to God's promised land, is because, number one, people don't know what the will says. Hey, I'm gone. Read this. This belongs to you. This belongs to you. I want you to take that jewelry. I want you to have that car. I want you to have that cabin. I want you, you own this piece of property. That real estate belongs to you. When I'm gone, Kenzie and Chloe, this is what daddy worked for, what I earned, what I paid for, that I'm giving you freely. Can you imagine how irritated I would be? If I accumulated wealth like Bill Gates and my kids lived on the streets homeless, not because I didn't work, not because I didn't earn, but because they never knew what I wrote down in my will that belongs to them. People say that without vision, people perish. I say without knowledge of God, people perish. And I'll be real, we're in an era that we have 40 hours a day to watch Netflix, but 10 minutes of Bible reading stresses us out. I'm not throwing rocks. I, I watch Netflix, Netflix too. But I just want you to know, I think it's interesting to me. It's like, it's easier today in any other time in history to have a Bible. You can download it for free on your glowing phone. Come on. It's amazing. We have smartphones with dumb batteries. Come on. Phones are getting skinnier. People are getting heavier. We'll just keep going. But why? We have, we have Bibles on our phones and, and, and they're everywhere. But we don't know what Jesus died to give us. And I believe this is a travesty. And I believe that's why 89% of people are like, I just, I, I don't like my job. I don't like my career. I don't like the people I'm living around. I don't like my life. I'm just irritated with my marriage. I'm, I'm frustrated with my kids. And I feel like I'm living either in Egypt with no hope or I have hope that I'm going to heaven, but I'm being beat up along the way in the wilderness. Do you know that wandering is a curse? It says that when, 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 when Abel sinned, or Cain sinned and killed his brother, God made him go to the land of Nod. The land of Nod means wandering. Cain's punishment for, for murder was wandering the rest of his life. Do you know that God does not want you to wander through life? I don't know what I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to live for. I'm supposed to work here. I just need, I just need a job. I just need some friends. Like, wandering? God, come on, life is too short to aimlessly. Do you know that God made you for a purpose? Put your finger in the air for him. Put your thumb up in the air. That's the right finger. Come on, help me. I was nervous. I want to qualify that. Put your thumb up in the air. Do you know that everyone in this room has a unique thumbprint? Do you know that no one else on the earth has the same fingerprint as you? Keep it up for a second. Why would God give you a unique fingerprint that no one else has? Could it be that your fingerprint's unique? Because you're supposed to make an impression on the earth that no one else can make. Could it be that the reason why no one else is like me exactly is because there's something that God wanted me to do in my life that put an impression on the earth that no one else can leave. You're not supposed to live for a career. You're supposed to live for a call. 
I'm not wired trying to make a paycheck, trying to make a living. How about make a difference? How about give God a reason to keep you alive on the earth? I am, I am baffled at how many people just aimlessly just like, you're going to waste 75 years on the earth doing nothing? Eternity is real. Mortality rate is 100%. No one's getting off this rock alive. And it's funny, though, that we plan more for retirement than we do for eternity. And we invest more of our time, money, and energy to play golf the rest of our last 20 years than we do to make a difference for the eternal glory. Come on, the great theologian Russell Crowe said it best. What we do in this life, it echoes in eternity. I don't know where that gladiator quote came from. That's anointed, though. I'm telling you. My gosh. I'm telling you today that many people have no idea what God wants them to know. So I would just say the first thing I would tell you is Joshua, which, by the way, if I was going to be a, a cynic, critic, like, well, how do we know the Bible's inspired? How do we know it's not flawed humans that wrote flawed literature that we've all idolized for centuries? How do we know that it's really inspired by God? How do we, how do we, how do we? I think if anyone in the Bible had a valid excuse to criticize the, the divine inspiration of Scripture, it's our boy Joshua. Because Joshua was mentored by the guy that wrote the majority of the Old Testament. Joshua was mentored by the guy that wrote the book of Genesis. Think about that for a second. He was mentored by, and not only was he mentored by, jo, by Moses, Joshua saw all of his, his predecessors' mistakes. He saw Moses kick the rock. He saw him get angry. He saw him throw his golf clubs on the course. Come on. He saw him give him one-finger waves in traffic. Come on. He saw Moses in his low moments. So if anyone had the right to go, you know what? This book might not be fully God because this guy is fully man. But what I want to tell you is, is unlike other religious literature that's been written, Joshua doesn't need two or 300 years for the book to become sacred. It starts off by saying Moses is dead, and immediately he believes the literature of Moses as divinely inspired. You think about that for a second. If anyone had the excuse to go, I don't think the Bible is fully inspired by God, it was Joshua. But the moment he actually saw his, his leader die, he goes, all right, everything that he said on the mountain when he walked down with those Ten Commandments that were engraved by the finger of God, everything God told you, I will do. So number one, I want you to write this down. I believe that people don't enter into a fruitful place in life because they don't know what Jesus died to give them. We don't know the Bible. We don't know it. It's just a boring book. It's an old book for old people to read. They have nothing better. It's just, it's just, it's just, can I just let you know, it says if you meditate on this book day and night, that you'll have good success and you'll prosper everywhere you go. Let me make it modern day for you. If you're too busy to read the Bible, you're too busy to be successful. Proverbs says that if you read the Bible, it makes, the, it makes the simple-minded wise. It makes the idiot clever. Is there any other book on the planet that when you read it, it has the power to read you? That it actually enlarges your IQ? It doesn't just enlarge your IQ, it, it, it enlarges your AQ. You become adaptable. You become, you become like, like, like just, 
clever and, and smart and sophisticated. There's no other book on the earth. There's 66 books written by 40-plus authors over 1,600 years uh, with no contradictions. One central theme written in three languages started by Moses in lonely Arabia and finished by, by John the Beloved on the island of Patmos. And there's no contradictions with one nucleus of, of notion that God loves humanity. There's no other book on the earth. One author writes in Hebrews that it's sharper than sore. It, it cuts between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. And when you read it, it discerns your thoughts and the intents of your heart and your mind. It's the only book that has this type of power. It's crazy. You can bring any other book to school you want, talk about any other book in school. The only book that's resisted at a high level is this book. It's the most published book in history. Every year it's the bestseller. Every year. New York Times doesn't even put on the list because it's a given. The Bible outsells every other book a hundred times over. It was the first book translated. It's been translated into more than 1,200 languages. I could go on all day in Bible facts, but I want you to know that people are living below what Jesus died to give them. Not because God's not good, it's because they don't know what he died to give them. And I have this conviction that if Jesus took the time to be a writer... And by the way, in John, it says that he stooped down. He only wrote one sermon in his whole life. And it was during a girl that got caught in the act of adultery. Everyone said to stone her, not 420 California, follow me. They said throw rocks at her until she dies. Are you with me? And literally, Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground the only sermon Jesus ever wrote. And guess what? We don't know what he wrote, but we do know this. It was true then. It's true now. Whatever he wrote saved her life. And I just know this. If Jesus will take the time to be a writer... We have the obligation to take the time to be a reader. Can we agree on this? Yeah, come on, give me a hand clap. Thanks, Mom. Number two, I believe, the band can come up, I'm about finished today, is I believe that we enter the promised land or we don't. I believe that we do or we don't because, number two, not only do we know it, we know the Bible, we know the words of God, but we actually talk about it. Notice what it says in, in Joshua 1 verse 8. It says not only to read it, but it says to actually not let the, the law, the, the words of God, the first five books of the Bible. He says this, do not let it depart from your, your mouth. You're supposed to talk about what God's talking to you about. You're supposed to be like verbally interested, invested in what you're reading and thinking about. Isn't it funny that we're fine as a society, we're like, oh, you like believe in church, that's good for you. And you want to be religious, that's good for you. Go to your little, little like holy country club on Sundays and do your little Pentecostal two-step dance and the little Hillsong hop and whatever you're doing. And like, you just do your little Christian thing. But like, how about Monday through Saturday, just be quiet. Don't talk about what you believe. We have the separation of church and state. You keep that religion to yourself. Can I just ask you a real question? If you believed that a semi-truck was coming after me and I was standing in that intersection and you fundamentally believe that the semi's real and I am in real danger, how much do you have to hate me to let me stand in the street without saying something or doing something? I have a lot of atheist friends and my favorite friends of mine that I think are really intelligent is... One of my buddies is a really smart guy, way smarter than I am. And he's like, Mark, I respect you. I'm praying he's going to come around. But he says two powerful things. He goes, number one, here's what he says. He's got a pretty big following on social media. He says this. He goes, number one, if I want to hate any religions in the world, I'm not going to hate the ones that tell you to love your neighbor. 
I'm not going to hate a religion that says to be kind to others the way you want to be kind to yourself. I'm not going to hate the one that says to be honest, integrous, pay your taxes, and to actually help those that are in need. I don't like the ones that strap bombs on their chest. But he's like, why do we make such a big deal about Christians when basically we wouldn't have hospitals without Christians? We wouldn't have orphanages without Christians. That almost all of the great exploits on the earth to help the needy were founded by believers of Jesus Christ. So that's a good point, buddy. And then he goes on, he says, and then the second thing is, I don't understand why atheists are so angry, and I'm one of them, he says, at Christians when they share their faith. He's like, if you really believed, if you really believed that Jesus was real, heaven was real, and and hell was real, how much would you have to hate me to not share it with me. I want you to think about that for a second. But we live in a society that's like, no, 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 you can talk a little bit on Sundays, but shh, the rest of the week. I get up and I say, I support saving wells, which I do. I, I, I support keeping the, the, the planet clean, which I do. We all applaud it, but the moment I say, man, I love Jesus, shut up with that stuff. Why is it the most resisted thing that you can talk about? It's divisive. Well, not if you're loving people. You know what's divisive? I'm right, you're wrong. That's divisive. But Christianity is not I'm right, you're wrong. Christianity is I love you and so does God. Argue that with me. I love you, God loves you. I'm really upset about, you're upset about, okay. Sorry to upset you, but God loves you. Are you hearing me today? So you know what it is? We're going to be a church, community that enters the promised land because number one, we know what God says. And then we're number two, we're going to talk about it. Don't let it depart from your mouth. I'm telling you, man, Joshua was talking to his, his commanders. Man, this, I was reading this book earlier. and Notice that God never told Joshua to put the, the five books of the Bible in the Ark of the Covenant with Aaron's rod and manna that didn't rot. He didn't say to put it in the Ark of the Covenant and read it one time a year. He said, I want you to read these things day and night. I want you to read it, read it. And then I want you to talk about it. Don't let it get out of your mouth. So it says to talk about it. And then the third thing it says, is we're going to talk about, is that if you want to enter into the promised land, he says, I want you to go a step beyond knowing it, reading it, a step beyond talking about it, is I want you to meditate. Meditate on it. This is a cool thought. I wrote this down. To meditate is a step beyond uh, reading, step beyond talking about it. It implies that you're reasoning about the Word of God, deducing from it. You're actually reading it. The the idea of meditation is different than Eastern religions. Eastern religions are all like, you got to empty your mind and empty your heart, empty your thoughts. Christianity is not about emptying, it's about filling. It's about not just filling your mind with anything. It's about filling your mind with the right things. You grab a verse in the Bible and you stick it in your brain. And and the, the ancient picture of meditation was a dog chewing on a bone. God says meditate on my words day and night it's literally like taking a verse and just like <laughs> that was the weirdest thing I've ever done in a sermon right there promise just chewing on it, meditating on it I think many people they don't meditate on it we meditate more on series we're watching on Netflix wonder what's going to happen next episode is she going to marry Johnny is he going to die in the next show And we're meditating on things that don't matter. Why are 89% of Christians living in the wilderness? Because we're not chewing on the right things. 
I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just saying I'm there. I've been there before. I've been irritated. I don't want to just, I don't want to just read it. I want to talk about, I don't want to talk about, I just want to, I want to meditate on it. And then the last thing is he says, you want to enter into the promised land? All right, this is what you got to do. You got to read it. You got to talk about it. You got to actually chew on it. And the fourth thing you're going to do is, Joshua, I know you're the leader. I know you're the top dog in the organization. You're the CEO, the CFO. You're the every EO. <laughs> EO, yo. Here's the deal, though. I need you to know this, uh, is you, uh, you have to actually model doing it. I love this, that, and, and this is really good. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I want to, if I could just burst a bubble real quick. Being a mature follower of Jesus is not knowledge. It's actually how much of what you know you live out. One scholar said this. He said, you actually only believe the parts of the Bible that you practice. You actually only believe the parts of the Bible that you practice. But we live in a generation that's been so indoctrinated with this Western education of just logic and reason and this two plus two equals four, which I'm not arguing. But we just, we, we live in an era that just goes, well, I, ad I adopt whatever I want to adopt. Because I'm, I'm 23 now, and I've determined what is right and what's wrong and what's error and what's truth. And I know what's for me and what's not for me and what's good and what's bad. And I am the, I am the moral compass of life and creation. So I read some verses in the Bible, and I'm like, yep, that's God. But I read other things, and I'm like, nope, that was for the other, the other seasons of life. When you start cutting and pasting this book, you become a deity. And it's crazy to me how many people go, well, you know, I like this part of the Bible, but don't preach out of that book. Don't read out of this chapter because that one makes me uncomfortable. Well, I'm sorry to make you uncomfortable. But forgive me, I don't want to go to a gym with a trainer that doesn't want to make me uncomfortable. Because last time I checked at the gym, if I'm comfortable the whole time, I'm probably not going to get results. And I believe discomfort in Bible reading, let me, let me just throw, this is something God smacked me with in a good way. I, by the way, I'd rather be smacked with the truth than kissed with a lie. Can we agree on that? I heard the Holy Spirit say this year, he goes, Mark, if we don't disagree every once in a while, you're probably not following me. Because one of the reasons we know that we're following Jesus is every once in a while, it's like the big guy wants to do something that we don't want to do. I went on a trip recently, and, the, and I, I brought one of my friends with me, and the Lord's like, I want you to give him your honorarium tonight. I was like, well, I took the day off. I'm the one that traveled down here. I, I brought him to come hang out with me. He's like, yeah, give him your honorarium. They're going to give you some money for, for speaking tonight. So I spent an entire day and before I even spoke, the Lord said, I want you to give it to him. And I was like, well, I don't really want, I need the money. Like, what about me? <laughs> I'm the one doing it. And I just remember the Lord's like, do you want my presence to come strong tonight? Be in obedience? Or do you want to get your money or honorarium and just have a dry service? All right, God, you win. So I did. And it's crazy. I settled it in my mind before I even started the night that whatever, I don't care if it's big or small, he's getting every dollar of it. What I've learned is that when God speaks to you, you have two choices. It's going to blow your mind. Buckle up. You can respond and go, all right, God, I read this book, and what I am is different than what you are. Here's the two choices. 
You can change this book to accommodate your lifestyle, or you can allow God to change who you are to accommodate who He is. One of us is batting a thousand. One of us isn't. It's very offensive. I know we're educated, but I just want you to, I want to remind you that it took you about two and a half years to save mommy and daddy. I know you're really smart. I'm not trying to insult you. But I do want to remind you, it took you about six years to learn how to tie your shoes. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I want to remind you that it took you about 18 years to get a piece of paper that says you're average. I'm not trying to insult you, but I'm going to say that it took you about 22 years to get a piece of paper that says you're a little bit above the rest. took you 16 years before tr people trusted you on the roads and I know that you figured out everything because you're like 35 now and you have all knowledge because in 35 years of knowledge gathering you've arrived but I would just suggest to you that before you were here before your parents were here before your grandparents were here before your great-grandparents were here before humans filled the earth God was he knows more than you know his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So here's the deal. When he says stuff to you, the greatest line in history was Mary comes over and she invents Nike. She, she's with the disciples at a wedding. And they're like, hey, we ran out of wine. She just says, hey, guys, come over here. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, Nike. <laughs> Nike. Just do it. I'm telling you that I have a lot of regrets in my life, but not one of them is connected to obeying God's voice. That is a good thought. Not one thing I regret in life is connected to obedience to God. Every stupid moment of my life was when I did what I wanted, not what, what He wanted. Let me give you one more big thought, because you're like, this is kind of, I don't know, this is like kind of restrictive. Let me tell you something. God only gives boundaries because He loves you. Let me say it a little bit clearer. God will never tell you not to do something if it won't help you in the long run. You tell me I can't go on the street, can't run and play in the traffic on the freeway. You can. You're just going to die. No, I'm the exception. I'm an exceptional walker and runner, and other people would die, but not me. I want you, we're all exceptional but no one is the exception to the rules. You honor what he, what he asks you to honor, and you get what he wants you to have. You don't honor it like, no, I'll do it my own way. Well, you can, but you're not any different than the 7 billion people that live before you that didn't enter into the promised land. So how are we going to enter? You know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to read it. We're going to talk about it. Come on, somebody. We're going to meditate on it. You know, we're going we're gonna to do what he tells us to do. You believe that? Would you give me a hand clap this service? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.